entry-level podcast where we talk about entry-level experiences in many forms, careers, relationships, business, side hustles, money, travel, and more. We believe if you're always learning and growing, then you will always be entry-level at something. I'm Sarah Dudley, and I'm here with my co-host, Lindsay Bernard. On this week's episode, we are kicking off our first series of 2019, a series that will focus on entry-level personal finance and achieving financial independence. To start that conversation, we have with us today Rachel Richards. Rachel is the author of Money Honey, a simple seven-step guide for getting your financial shit together. As you can probably tell, she is not only a personal finance expert, but brings some humor and sass to the process, which you know we are big fans of. So Rachel's passion for understanding money stems from growing up in a household on a strict budget. She began investing in the stock market at 18 years old and graduated a $40,000 per year college in just three years, 100% debt-free. She will tell us more about how she did it, but spoiler alert, it did involve selling Cutco knives. Her passion revolves around helping individuals get their money in order and achieve financial freedom. And we're really excited to hear what her tips are around budgeting, saving, and investing. So welcome, Rachel. Welcome, Thanks, Rachel. guys. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me on. Great. Yes, we're definitely excited to have you. Very important topic, I think, for many people who listen to the podcast. So, Rachel, to kind of kick us off here, can you just tell us a little bit about what your background is, what made you interested in this space, and and what made you decide to write a book on it? Yeah, definitely. So, I've always been interested in finance, and I, like in middle school, I would just read books about personal finance. No idea why, but it interested me. I majored in financial economics in college. And then afterwards, I was trying to think of careers where I could help people with their money because all my friends and family would always come to me for advice by that point. So naturally, I decided to become a financial advisor. So I worked at a firm here in Kentucky. And it just, it turns out that when you're a financial advisor, you're pretty much just, you know, doing sales and prospecting for new clients and cold calling. And I could have done that, but I really wanted to be helping people with their money. So I eventually transitioned jobs. I sort of did some real estate and investing, and now I work at a manufacturing firm. But my passion still is helping people with their money and helping people with finance. And I saw a huge need with millennial women, especially. Like a lot of my girlfriends would come up to me and ask me all these questions. How do you actually buy a stock? How do you save so much money? Blah, blah, blah. So I just saw a really big need for it. And every other finance resource out there is boring or complex (laughs) or like just will put you to sleep. It is just hard to read and understand. So I was like, I just want to make a really sassy, funny, and like simple guide for just the basics of personal finance. Um, So that's what I did. I wrote Money Honey, and it has resonated with female uh, millennials and young professionals and anyone that has tried to learn about finance and hasn't been able to in the past. So 
Yeah, that's amazing. I read your book last week and I (laughs) will be the first to say that it does definitely resonate with your target audience. So lots of, lots of (laughs) great nuggets of information in there so much, even if you've been doing it for starting to understand personal finance a little bit better, there's a little deeper and deeper that you can go with every bit of knowledge that you gain. I think it's, it's one of those things where once you start it's really an interesting space once you actually start learning about money and how it can work for you as opposed to being a negative thing. So I guess what are the three most important areas of our finances that we should really be learning about and putting into practice? Yeah, so I would argue budgeting and savings is sort of one. It, those sort of go hand in hand. In order to save more money, you have to kind of control your budget. So budgeting and savings is one. Number two would be debt. Most people are in debt, student loans, mortgage, credit card debt. Most people have some type of debt. So learning how to get rid of that is number two. And then number three is investing. And this is so important for like the young women that are listening because like a big problem with my friend group is that they thought they saw investing as intimidating. And I mean, I, I totally see how it feels that way. It's overwhelming. There's like a thousand options of how to invest. You don't know where to get started. So a lot of people, instead of trying to learn, they just sort of stay away from it altogether. But it's super important that you learn and invest at a young age. So that is the number three most important topic, in my opinion. And I, I like what you said about the budgeting and saving, because obviously that is, seems like step one, because you can't invest if you don't have a good budget and you're not paying off your debt because you don't have any cash flow. So so that makes sense to me. So what when you started and you went through school and you said, you gra- you know, in Sarah's intro, you graduated, you were out of debt. What were some of the things that helped you? Because we do have a lot of listeners who are still in school getting ready for that post-grad era, that paying school loan. So if you wanted to start there, kind of your experience with that and what helped you? Yes, that's such a great question. I was terrified of having student loans when I was a senior in high school. And luckily for me, I had really read a lot of finance books and was a little bit educated on student loans and how that can really be hard to deal with after graduation. So I was kind of already scared and intimidated and wanted to avoid them. So like throughout high school, I was doing everything I I could to take AP classes and go ahead and try to get credit that would count towards college. So when I graduated high school, I think I had taken like eight AP classes. So I went into college as a second semester freshman. So that helps me basically shorten my length by a semester. So I did that. And the other thing that resulted from all that hard work in high school was I got a lot of scholarships. I made my decision of where to attend college pretty much both how prestigious the school was, how reputable it was, and also how much it was going to cost me. So um, Center College costs more than 40000 a year, but I got scholarships that were about 30000 a year. So I had to pay, I think it was about $12,000 each year out of pocket. And that was pretty similar to like my other options. So I went with Center. So I was just, yeah, I, was, I worked really hard in high school to get scholarships, to take AP classes. I did my research and I didn't try to go to an expensive school. I tried to go to somewhere where it was going to be reasonable. And the third thing I did is I was like, well, how am I going to pay for this other $12,000 a year? Because I don't want to graduate with debt. So I was looking for jobs the summer before I entered college. And one of the jobs that I went to was for Cutco Knives. So basically, I came home that day and I was like, hey, mom and dad, so I'm going to sell knives this summer. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, they were not thrilled. (laughs) Um, Door sales do help you build a lot of skills. Like you, oh be, I, I'm sure 
Yeah. yeah. I mean, I have to credit that job for like, yep. for so much, for management, for public speaking, yep. sales. I mean, it was just, it had a profound impact on me. So I highly recommend it. It's a great job. So I like worked my butt off that entire summer working harder than I've probably ever worked in my life. I, I like set records. I sold a ton of knives. I made like t- a little over 10,000 that first summer, which happened to be enough to cover my first year. Wow. So that's basically, yeah. Yeah. That's basically what I did. I, I sold knives and that's how I paid for school. I took an extra class one semester or something or a few extra classes. So I ended up graduating an entire year early, which also obviously saved an entire year's worth of tuition. So that was a big help as well. I, I just have to say that I I agree with everything you said, and I, I openly tell people this, that one of the mistakes I think that I made, and if I do not regret going to the college I went to because obviously it got I made the friends I made, and I, I do believe that I ended up in the job that I was in because of the connections I made at the college. However, I, I did not think about my in my head i was like i want to work as much as i can i was like you i was like i i want as little debt as possible i was an ra which some people oh, will probably smart. tell you i i didn't deserve i probably shouldn't have been one <laughs> but i probably wasn't i wasn't good <laughs> at it but the thing that i didn't think about was that aspect of graduating without debt i i should have thought that way and and i wish i would have because it's such a double-edged sword, a double-edged sword now, but I kind of went into it like, okay, if I go to a good school and I do well and I get internships and I get a good job, I'll be able to pay my school loans off. But when even when you come out with them in bulk, it's still really hard. So I think mm-hmm. that's really good advice of things to think about because I wish I would have done that a little bit more. And just one thing to add to what you said, just for our listeners, another thing that I thought about when you were going through that was thinking about after school, where are you going to live? Because I couldn't live at home where I grew up. I, the jobs that I wanted to get, I had to move to a, a city to get get a good paying job to get kind of on that career path. And I was always so jealous of my friends who could like live at home for a year and not have to pay rent. And so mm. I think to your point, I just think those are really good points to think about and could re- and really helps you out in the future. So I, I agree with you on all of those points. Oh, yeah. Thanks. That's a good point, too, about because I was able to live at home after college for a year and that helped me just save a bunch of money, which was nice. Yeah. Do you think do you think that on top of being able to live at home after college, was there anything else? Were you already making a budget? I think a lot of people out, out of fresh out of college, myself included, I have the first cash flow probably of my life with my first job at a college. And I wasn't making a lot of money, I think 30,000 for my first job a year. And then you're living on your own, you just want to spend money, I feel like if you haven't ever had it as free flowing cash flow before. (laughs) So do you have any tips for people? And did you have a budget when you first came out of college that you really stuck to? Yeah, I did. And I don't know where I got this, but for some reason, my thing, like my whole life has always been save 50% of my income. And I've done that my entire life. I've just found a way. When I first got out of school and I was living at my parents, it was obviously easier to save money even when I was making very little. So I think I, like my first job, I think I was making 32000 or something like that. And so I was able to, able to save 50% living at home. And then I eventually, when I moved out, I ended up just looking for a room for rent because I figured it would be a lot cheaper instead of finding an apartment or finding an apartment with friends. So I ended up moving in with someone that I had found online that posted an ad and rented a room from her for like $450 a month, just flat. 
So like I just found really creative ways to keep my expenses super, super low. And I was just always really aware of that probably to like a really weird extent. I've just always been like that. But but yeah, yeah. that's what I've always been able to do is save 50%. That's amazing. I think that a lot, of, a lot of people struggle to get to that. I think even, For you sure. know, once people start making a lot of money, the idea of lifestyle creep and starting to spend more when you make more. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it sounds like you have a strong opinion against lifestyle creep. <laughs> I mean, and- it's just so tempting. You know, I've done it myself because you know, I don't make 32000 anymore. I make more than that. I'm still saving 50%, but obviously I'm spending a lot more. So I think about if I was still living on like $16,000 a year, how much I'd be able to save. Right. So it, it's hard. It, you just, you got to remind yourself not to get carried away with it. When you get a 10% raise, let's say that's like five grand. When you look at that after taxes and on like a weekly basis, that's really not a ton more money. So feeling yep. like all of a sudden you have a ton more money to spend is probably inaccurate. So just being careful and kind of being aware and doing the math probably helps. Yeah. If somebody doesn't have a budget yet, do you have any recommendations for how they can kind of get started doing that? Any tools or anything that are helpful? Oh, definitely. Yes. So that's the first step in making a budget is it starts with tracking. You can't really know, you can't really make a budget unless you know what you're spending in the first place. So in Money Honey, I recommend actually tracking your expenses for a full month before doing anything else. That's the easy part. And there's tons of apps that can help with it. Like I used to use Mint, but now I prefer to track in my own Excel spreadsheet just because I can look at it exactly how I want. I've also heard the app YNAB stands for You Need a Budget. I've heard it's great, but I think it costs money. And obviously, we are all trying to avoid that. (laughs) But yeah, so once you track for a month, it gets really easy to see where you're spending too much. So that's, it's kind of the most eye-opening part of it. You'll be able to look at your food expenses and see that you're spending $600 on eating out or $300 on manicures and pedicures a month. And it becomes glaringly obvious where you can easily cut back. So that's kind of the first step, tracking it. And then you can start looking at where you can cut back and trying to make some goals for yourself. That's a scary prospect. Like when you, when you were just saying that, I was thinking in my head, what if I actually did that? I, I don't even know if I'd want to see the results because sometimes, <laughs> well, sometimes you, you're not even thinking and like think my dad always used to say this to me and I never took this advice. He was like, track, he goes one year, buy your coffee every day at, you know, out at Starbucks or Dunkin' Donuts. And then the next year, and then figure out how much money you're spending on that. You know what I mean? Just things add up. Mm -hmm. So I agree with you, but I think it's really a daunting prospect and kind of scary to kind of put yourself on blast like that, you know, and then thinking about it. Yeah. But I definitely agree. I I need to do, I want to do some of these exercises just to see. I think it's really Mm -hmm. eye opening. Yeah. Sarah, have you ever done that? I don't think I've ever, I've never done that type of exercise before. Yeah. You, you know, there's, I've been finding over the last year or so probably that I'm really trying to get my head wrapped around this idea that money is like not my enemy and that the more money I make, the more promotions I get, stuff like that. I, I really want to learn how to manage it better because I feel like I'm letting the lifestyle creep get in mm-hmm. too much. And so, you know, I have debt goals things to pay off, savings goals. And so I I feel like I could be way more aggressive about them with just some 
changes. And so hearing the things in your book, Rachel, that you talk about, all of that stuff, I feel like it's starting to help me kind of implement some of this and be just more mindful even, I think is one of probably the first steps in in the whole process of saving more money. Is there, I know also in your book, Rachel, you talked a little bit about like a four bucket saving strategy. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit more about what that is? Because I thought that was a really, really interesting technique. Yeah, definitely. And by the way, I love what you said about money is not my enemy. That's such a great way to phrase it. Money is on your mm-hmm. side. So I love that. But yeah, the four bucket savings strategy. So my pet peeve is when you hear all these other financial gurus tell you that you need to save 15% or you need to save a thousand a month, or you need to put 20% into retirement accounts because there's no one size fits all when it comes to finance. So that's a big pet peeve of mine. It's going to be the savings number is going to be different for every single person out there. So you need to figure out your savings number and act accordingly. Now, savings in general is tough because you're saving for so many different things. So maybe you're saving for a trip this year. Maybe you're saving for a wedding in a couple years. Maybe you're saving for a down payment in five years or your kid's education in 20 years. And everyone should be saving for retirement. So since we have different savings goals, I basically I basically created the idea of having savings buckets. And there's four of them. So picture four buckets. Bucket number one is for emergency savings. Bucket number two is for medium-term savings. And that's one year or less. So things that you're going to be saving up for that are within the next 12 months. Bucket number three is long-term savings. So that's more than a year away, but before retirement. And then bucket number four is for retirement savings. So you're going to fill up bucket number one first with $1,000. And that's just your sort of catch-all emergency savings. You know, if your car breaks down and you have to go get it fixed, that means that instead of putting it on a credit card, you're going to have $1,000 already available. So that kind of covers any of those unexpected expenses that are going to come up. So that's the most important first step. For the other buckets, I kind of take my readers through kind of a process in Money Honey where you'll calculate what you're saving for within those time periods and work on filling up those. So think about all the things you're saving for within the next year. You put a dollar amount to it, add it all up, and that's how much you should have in bucket number two. And then you do the same thing in bucket number three. Now, I also recommend that bucket number two, which is the one that's one year or less, have at least three to six months worth of living expenses. So it sort of acts as another emergency savings in case you lose your job or you need to support yourself for an extended period of time. So that's basically the way the four buckets are set up. I like that. Yeah, it's a good, good. I think emergency savings, I I read one stat that said something like 78% of Americans that have a full-time job live paycheck to paycheck. So I feel like for a lot of people, Mm -hmm. just that getting that bucket one could be the difference between a financial hardship and and not. So I think- that's yeah, exactly it's incredible. Right. And maybe it was in your book. I read that stat. I don't know. But <laughs> Probably something similar. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have a question though. What, what do you think about, what do you think about credit cards? Sarah and I have been getting into some conversations about this just on the side. And I feel like everyone gets different advice with credit cards. I remember when I, I didn't even have a credit card until I was, I think 23. I just, I just kind of, my dad never used them. Like he was very mm-hmm. against having them. And then when I got one, now I'm kind of like, I needed one because of the sale, the sales life commissions I need. And so I always just wondered what's the best etiquette with them? What do you recommend? And just what are your thoughts on them in general? 
Yes. So I have a love-hate relationship with credit uh-huh. cards. I personally love them, but I also hate what they can do to people's finances. So I basically just urge everyone to be extremely cautious when it comes to credit cards because it is so tempting when you have that credit card with a $5,000 credit limit and that feels like it's your money to spend and you have $5,000 to spend. And it's so tempting to go out and just justify one little purchase here and one little purchase there. But before you know it, all those little purchases add up and come time when the credit card bill is due, you can't afford to pay it. Uh So it can be extremely scary. And for someone that's just kind of entering the world of finance and adulting, some people might not realize how credit cards work. So that's why I just urge everyone to be super cautious. And if you feel like you are going to be tempted to spend more than what you actually have in your bank account, then I basically tell people to stay away from them altogether. Only open a credit card account if you are disciplined, you know that you're going to pay it off in full every single month. So use it responsibly. Only have a credit card, again, if you're going to pay it off in full every single month. I have all my credit cards on auto pay. So that's, good, that's smart. That's, that's yeah, a good so idea. It, it's hard to give advice on it because some people might be able to handle them. Some people might not. To be overly cautious, I just say don't don't test yourself. But if you can handle it and you're going to be responsible and you're not going to spend more than what you can afford, then I think credit cards cards are really awesome for earning rewards and earning points. So like for example, I was just on a vacation in Costa Rica and I I actually just finished adding up all the expenses. So this is timely. But the vacation would have cost $5,000. And we kind of did a more fancy hotel and resort than we normally would have. It was eight nights, the flights would have been $1,100. The hotel would have been around would have been, I don't know, $2,000, something like that. But because I had credit card rewards and sign up bonuses, I got the flights and the hotels for free. So Mm -hmm. our Costa Rica eight day trip only cost us $2,000 instead of $5,000. Yeah, it's such a game changer. Um, it is amazing. I mean, I wouldn't be able to travel the way I do if it weren't for credit cards. So I also have a lot of positive things to say about them, especially when they're offering you these really large sign-up bonuses. If you can use them the right right way and fully maximize the benefits, I, I do think they're really awesome. But I, I, I think they're awesome to those points too, but I liked what you said about you should be able to pay them off every month. And I, I know that when I was first starting out in a, a 50-50 basin comp plan for sales, I was, you don't close business when you're new. It takes, it takes a while. And I remember feeling really, mm-hmm. really stressed and overwhelmed when I would have a lot of money on my credit cards. And it kind of eats away at you, especially kind of Sarah, to your point about thinking money's the enemy, I think I always, that that part of it always scared me a little to, so now like fast forward that I don't need them as much. I don't use them as much. And I, and Sarah knows this about me. I, I almost get sometimes, I get annoyed with some of our friends who are so obsessed with playing the credit card points games, you know, <laughs> because I just, yeah. now I like shy away from credit cards just because of the past. No, I think that's, I just, I think you made a really good point about you should be able to pay them off every single yeah every yeah, single I would echo that I also just kind mm-hmm. of recently I also used to have that whole mindset around credit cards because when I was younger I wasn't very responsible with them and I used them for all the wrong reasons and now that I can afford to pay them off mm-hmm. and I can be responsible for them I 
I started doing the travel reward stuff too. And so it's kind of like a, it's kind of a fun game once you realize that there is real value in them, but there's always that, but you have to be able to be in a place where you're responsible enough to do it without getting yourself into a bad situation. So definitely, definitely good point there. Mm -hmm. Circling back to debt a little bit more, when somebody, if someone does have debt, whether it's student loans or, you know, maybe they have racked up a credit card debt payout that they need to pay off. What are some of your strategies? Thinking back also to the four bucket savings strategy, is there a similar approach for debt payoff? Is that integrated in there somehow? How should people manage that dual kind of process? Yeah, that's a great question. So in terms of just debt payoff and when you're focusing on that, there's kind of two methods out there. And the first one is commonly known as the snowball method. It's what Dave Ramsey advocates. And that's basically pay your smallest balance first and pay from small balance all the way up to the largest balance. So yeah. So if you have a $500 credit card and a $1,000 balance on a credit card, pay the $500 one first. There's a lot of great things to be said about that. And I think it's great for like psychological motivation. And then the other method is basically paying the highest interest rate first. And that's the strategy that I talk about in Money Honey. I think they're both great strategies and I, I outline them both. And I think that whatever is going to work best for the person is great. I just go, I always advocate for the highest interest rate strategy because that's where you're going to actually save yourself the most money as you're paying down your debt. Um, so if you have a 20%. Would you recommend that though for just credit card debt or would you recommend that for student loans too? Yes, for everything. Okay. So okay, basically if you have like a 20% interest rate credit card and you have a 5% student loan, you should pay the credit card first because that's going to have the biggest impact because you're paying such an exorbitant interest rate on that. Mm-hmm. So getting rid of that credit card is going to help you the most because you're not paying an, an enormous yeah. interest rate, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that makes sense. That I totally, I just wanted to make sure. I think the it, I agree with you with the psychological thing, though, especially with school loans. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I'm sure your friends are the same way, but it is just such a topic of conversation of when that feeling of just paying off your, getting that done. And I know for yep. me, like I was really like, really mentally sick of it a few years ago. And then once I was able to get that first one paid, I just made me like push through to the rest. Like, so I think the psychological part is so key and it's so true. So, I mean, really people should do whatever they think is going to keep them the most motivated. If they're going to be motivated because they can quickly pay one off, that's awesome. If they're going to be motivated because they know they're getting this high interest rate away, that's awesome. Just do whatever works. No, it's a good point. Yeah. Thinking, speaking of mindset around money and a little bit about, you know, the psychological shift that people have to have when they shift their mindset around money. And maybe they're starting to be a little more thoughtful and mindful about how they spend and maybe, you know, not so quick to throw money out for a lot of different things or reasons. Is Mm -hmm. is there a shift that they're their circle of friends or family needs to expect or maybe a little pushback that they might get from friends and family if they start to be really aggressive about saving and not spending so much? Yes. Um, I love this question. So I always talk about, this is so similar to if someone is trying to eat really healthy. So like, yeah. So like a year ago, I was like going through this phase where I was doing the strict diet and I was counting my macros, blah, blah, blah. 
And I turned down every social invitation that I received for like the entire three months. And my friends, like they weren't visibly annoyed with me, but I was definitely self-conscious about it. And I figured they were probably like starting to get fed up. Like when is Rachel going to hang out with us again? It's kind of the same thing with like going really hardcore and going on a budget. You got to remember enthusiasm is contagious. In the book, I talk about why it's important to not only write down your goal, but to share your goal with your friends and family your financial goal. You can even make a post on social media to hold yourself accountable. But if not, at least let your friends and family know what you're trying to do, but most importantly, why you're trying to do it. Because once you explain that to them, they're going to be totally on board and they're going to support you. They're going to encourage you. That's They need to know why you're trying to do this and what it's going to mean for you and your family and your life. Yeah. And they will be happy for you. You got to remember, yeah, people are forgetful. So <laughs> your friends and family, you, you might make this announcement. You might let them know what you're doing, but then they'll probably forget. They'll continue to invite you to expensive dinners or fancy events, whatever. Don't take it personally. They just probably want you to feel included. There are several ways you can handle it. You can just simply give them a, you know, a nice reminder of your goal. What I always like to do is just suggest an alternate plan. So if someone invites you to lunch at work and you don't want to spend the money, don't be afraid to just tell them, oh, hey, remember, I'm cutting back on eating out. But if you want to grab your own takeout, I'd be happy to eat my packed lunch with you in the break room. I've done that multiple times. Or I've literally been invited to lunches at work and I've gone and I've been like, hey, I'm not going to eat, but I would like to join you guys and and just talk with you and catch up. And like, I'm sure the first time I did that, they probably thought it was weird, but I started doing that all the time with them and it was totally fine and totally normal. And they... They didn't care at all. So I always think it's. I always like when they when someone will say, "Hey, I'm trying to. I'm I'm watching what I'm spending." And it, I, I like when people are more upfront about it. I think it's. I think it's a smarter way to go about it. I, that's what yeah. I always try to do is just be like, "Hey, I'm not." Yeah. I, I think. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing to be ashamed of. It's most people will be like impressed and inspired by it. Yeah, I think uh, I, when you made the comment about it being similar to like, you know, dieting and food, I, I was competing <laughs> a couple years ago. And also I had to do the macro counting and be really, really strict about it. And I, I just yeah. remember how much pushback I'd get. Like my dad would be like, oh, from who? Oh, yeah. <laughs> or me. <laughs> my friends would be like, why can't you drink anymore? And, and my family was like, are you sure you can eat that slice of bacon? And I'm like, I know what I can eat. Okay. <laughs> it's yeah. Like, I feel like, yeah. It's hard. It's yeah, we went to like the, we went to this like this like really good Mexican restaurant, and like Sarah wasn't eating the chips, and we were like, "What is going on?" <laughs> it's so hard. The chips and salsa yeah. they get me every time. Same thing with money. Same thing with money. It's basically the same. Yeah. Same. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. That's really. Cool. Well, this has been an awesome conversation so far about savings, about debt, like debt reduction, budgeting—all really great topics. Since we have so much more to unpack around investing, we have split our interview with Rachel into two parts. This week, we dove into debt reduction, saving, and budgeting. And next week, we'll do the same with investing. So in the meantime, you can find us on Instagram at Entry Level Podcast, and you can find more on Rachel and her book at Money Honey Rachel on Instagram and Facebook. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and check back next week for part two of this conversation. 